You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.pagosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.pagosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of February 11th, 2018. The podcast that fritters and wastes the hours in an offhand way. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Chris Hangartner. Welcome back, Chris. Hello. Let's de-excavate the news of the bogus. Well, here's another glimpse of how the rest of the world used the U.S. A British appeals court has refused an extradition order to the U.S. citing inhumane treatment of prisoners. Oh, what else is new? Laurie Love is a Finnish-British hacker who's been charged with stealing data from the Pentagon and NASA. He's under indictment in the U.S., and so the U.S. filed for extradition, and the British court has said, no way. Both his father and a psychologist testified that he should not be extradited to the U.S., because of several disorders he suffers from, including autism, eczema, psychosis, and depression. Although last September the British ruled in favor of extradition, Love's attorneys appealed, and the appeals court rejected the extradition. The reason cited was inhumane conditions in U.S. prisons, adding that America could prosecute him in a U.K. court. Yeah, I never understood the whole point of being tough on crime. It's a good thing that riles the voters up, whereas... Everyone who says, hey, maybe we should back off a little bit of that, they get accused of associating with criminals. No. Prison officials told the court that Love, quote, would be restrained and escorted by marshals who would observe him within close proximity during the flight, having checked him for anything he might be able to use to harm himself, and also that they would keep him in isolation to prevent him from committing suicide. But suicide prevention programs in U.S. prisons are so barbaric, they actually increase the likelihood of suicide, and isolation is considered by experts to be psychological torture as they're kept in a tiny room and only let out for one hour a day. Yep, that's the U.S. policy of dealing with psychopathic people, you know. That's why I cringe whenever time someone says, you know, the U.S. government needs to better fund the Mental Health Institute, and I'm like, have you seen the mental health facilities we had, like, in the 60s and 70s? Prisoners on death row were treated better than those people. Oh, even the ones today, they're like maximum security prisons, they're like the worst ones you'd never want to go to. And I can understand a lot of stuff like that, and I can understand why an asylum you'd want to keep control, because there are some dangerous people in there, but at the same time, if you put them in those conditions, you're going to make them dangerous, and I think I've used this analogy before about other things. It's like if you've got a dog who bit someone, you know, and maybe it was just like a one-time thing, and maybe it was just a harmless little nip or something, but then you keep the dog chained up, perpetually chained, and you don't run him, or you only let him off once in a while, then of course he's going to get aggressive and vicious because you're keeping him chained up. Yeah, you know, and he's not socializing, you know. Yeah, and I mean, that's what they're saying they need to do more with mental health people is get them socializing more, you know, starting with their other inmates, but making it more of a community than a hospital. I understand that there are some dangerous criminals that will never change, and you know, it's obvious the only course of treatment is to lock them away forever, but there's a lot of people where... The reason why they reoffend is because you just throw them in prison for like a couple of years, and when they come out, they've learned nothing, you know. 
They've learned how to be better criminals. Yeah. You put them in for 20 years because of possession of a few ounces of a plant, and they come out hardened criminals, and they've made all these criminal connections while they were in prison. Yeah. Cambridge professor of developmental psychopathology and autism expert Simon Baron Cohen testified, saying that he, quote, took issue with the sufficiency of the protocols operated in America to support prisoners with Asperger's syndrome, depression, and at high suicidal risk. Mentally ill inmates were often put in solitary confinement where they cannot access mental health services with especially negative consequences for Mr. Love. He would not receive treatment for clinical depression until it reached crisis suicidal level. You know, the stories I've heard from the inside of the U.S. prison, yeah, he wouldn't survive in there. The court concluded, quote, Suicide watch is not a form of treatment. There is no evidence that treatment would or could be made available on Suicide Watch for the very conditions which Suicide Watch itself exacerbates. But once removed from Suicide Watch, the risk of suicide as found by the judge cannot realistically be prevented on her findings. Mr. Love already experiences severe depression at times. It is very difficult to envisage that his mental state after 10 years in and out of segregation would not be gravely worsened should he not commit suicide. Yeah, he's either going to end up dead or even crazier than when he came in. Or they probably just drug him up, not to correct his disorder, but just to keep him, you know, dull and yeah, not quite not sedated's not the wrong word, but you know what I mean, where they where they just take your mental functions yeah, down it, and you're like a zombie. It's like you know they're not actually trying to cure you; they're just trying to keep you quiet. I've actually heard that that's actually the reason why a lot of mental health institutes used to perform lobotomies, even though it was scientifically proven long before that it didn't work. It was just because it's like, well, who cares? These guys are never getting out of here. Let's just mess up their brains so they won't give us any trouble. Oh, yeah, that was the scientific consensus all along. They say, look, these people, they may tell themselves they're doing their best for the patient, but they're really doing the best things for the caregivers just to make it easier for them to be around. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, they would say it would just completely change your personality and you would have highly intelligent, lucid, bright, and insightful people just become complete dullards and idiots and just... Yeah, JFK had a sister that that happened to her, you know, she was given a lobotomy because she was having these mood swings and all that and, like, the parents were like, oh, we don't know how to handle her. There was actually a modern-day psychologist that took a look at what they had and it's like, look, all she had was dyslexia and a little bit of bipolar disorder which easily could have been treated with counseling at that time. This isn't the first time the courts have ruled this way. In 2012, the UK refused to extradite British hacker Gary McKinnon, citing human rights grounds since his Asperger's and clinical depression would only be exacerbated in a U.S. prison. Half of all U.S. inmates have severe mental health issues when you combine that with the statistics that show that the U.S. imprisons more of its population than any other country. Yeah, even Russia. Yeah, or China, then it becomes absurd to conclude that there are all these crazy people who are being locked up. The rational conclusion is that these mental health issues are the direct result of prison conditions in the U.S. Yep. And add to that the dearth of treatment options available, and you begin to wonder if it's humane to imprison anyone in this country. Oh, yeah. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? 
If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. Well, what the cops and their apologists continually tell us is, if you don't want to end up dead like people like Garrett Gardner or Kelly Thomas, just don't behave suspiciously. <laughs> the problem is, they consider so many things suspicious that it's impossible not to behave suspiciously. Case in point, a trooper pulled over Jose Luis Cortez for having a fairly new minivan and not driving perfectly. <laughs> In the past, driving sloppily has been considered suspicious, as has been driving too carefully. Using an interstate highway is suspicious because they're used by drug traffickers. Using back roads is suspicious because you're trying to evade patrolled areas. If your car is too trashy, you might be a drug trafficker since you've clearly been traveling a great distance. And if your car is too clean, then it's obviously a trap car that's done to avoid suspicion. Simply being Latino means you could be smuggling drugs over the border. Being white means you could have been hired to smuggle the drugs to avoid suspicion. Oh, what's this? You're showing no emotion? Oh, you must be up to something, because if you really love this person, you would have showed emotion. But if you do show emotion, like crying or something, it's like, oh, you're either acting or you're putting on a show or you're crying because deep down you're regretting it. Or you're mentally unstable or something like that. Yeah, they do that stuff on the stand all the time. Oh, you know, that witness, you know, kept his cool. That proves he's a psychopath. Because anyone in that position would have yelled, would have gotten angry. Or, oh, you see how he got angry? That proves he's a dangerous, out-of-control person getting angry in court like that. Oh, yeah. They also consider air fresheners to be suspicious because they could be an attempt to mask the smell of drugs. Uh, we've talked about people being pulled over simply for having a license plate from a state like Colorado where marijuana's been legalized. And when you are pulled over, similar to what you were just saying, you can't be too nervous or too calm. You can't look away from the officer. You can't stare at the officer. No matter what you do, one of the tines of Morton's fork will get you. And it's all left to the discretion of the officer at the scene. Yep. Fortunately, courts have started resisting this, and here we have the Texas Appeals Court doing just that. Quote, at the motion to suppress hearing, the trooper who pulled Cortez over testified that he began following Cortez's minivan down Interstate 40 because it had a newer registration on it and because it was a minivan clean with two occupants in it. Question. So you're telling the court that because you see a van, it's clean and it's got two people in it, that it was indicators of potential criminal activity for you? Answer. Yes, sir, they are. Okay. The moving violation that instigated the stop is interesting, too. The trooper claims the car moved across the fog line in violation of Texas state law. But the court said, quote, The state produced no evidence that the trooper, and I think it's interesting that they're redacting the name of the trooper, but 
that the trooper observed or believed he had observed any portion of the defendant's vehicle pass outside the outermost edge of the fog line. The improved shoulder of a state roadway begins at the point of the fog line which is furthest from the center of the roadway. The defendant's vehicle did not cross outside the outermost edge of the fog line onto the improved shoulder of the roadway. Crossing over the portion of the fog line nearest the center of the roadway or upon the fog line is not a violation of Texas traffic law. Therefore, the vehicle was not operated on the improved shoulder of the roadway on either occasion made the basis for the trooper's traffic stop. <laughs> they also mentioned that the dash cam video shows there's no possible way the trooper could have observed the car doing so. Quote, Question. So, trooper, tell the court exactly where my client was at the time you say you witnessed the first violation. Answer. The first violation was just as I'm paralleling him off his left quarter. Actually, I usually run the license plate at that point. I'm sitting there and you see him fade to the right-hand side crossing the white line. But we conclude that from the vantage point of driving in the left lane, next to a vehicle in the right lane, it cannot be seen and there is no way to know that the vehicle in the right lane is touching the fog line on that vehicle's right. Thus, the dash cam video dispels the trooper's testimony that Cortez crossed the flag line. But even if he could, it still wouldn't have been a violation. Quote, because the law allows a driver to drive on an improved shoulder to allow another vehicle traveling faster to pass, and since it appeared that the trooper was intending to pass Cortez's vehicle on the left, Cortez was statutorily permitted to drive on the improved shoulder during that brief period of time. Regarding the second offense observed by the trooper, the dash cam video shows Cortez driving steadily in the right-hand lane on the highway, turning on his right turn signal to exit the highway. By the time that there was any type of contact between Cortez's right tires and the white fog line, Cortez was at the end of the exit ramp, almost to the access road, and he was still signaling a right turn. Because the law allows a driver to drive on an improved shoulder to decelerate before making a right turn, and since it was clear that Cortez was intending to exit the highway and turn right, Cortez was statutorily permitted to drive on the improved shoulder for that brief period of time. And even if that weren't the case, the court doesn't expect drivers to drive absolutely perfectly. Quote, Driving is an exercise in controlled weaving. It is difficult enough to keep a straight path on the many dips, rises, and other undulations built into our roadways. Even a driver who is sober, alert, and careful may occasionally drift within their lane only because the roadway surface is not perfectly smooth. Moreover, drivers are not able to see if their tires are touching the fog line. They are likely to veer over at some point and touch the fog line alongside the roadway without being aware they have done so. Good going, Texas Appeals Court. Here's hoping this is an increasing trend. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. 
You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. And now an update about Sci-Hub. As we've discussed before, Sci-Hub is a service that aggregates over 60 million academic papers and makes them available to the public. Millions of scientists and academics all over the world praise the site and the job that it does. The people who don't like it are the copyright holders who want to force you to pay for this information who refer to Sci-Hub as the Pirate Bay of Science. Oh, great. More copyright BS. And we've talked about the ridiculous injunction that was imposed on Sci-Hub requiring third-party services to stop providing access to the site, including domain registries, hosting companies, and search engines. Yeah. Now, the American Chemical Society, one of the big corporations behind this, went after Cloudflare. As Cloudflare told Sci-Hub, quote, Cloudflare has received the attached court order. Cloudflare will terminate your service for the following domains, sci-hub.la, sci-hub.tv, and sci-hub.tw by disabling our authoritative DNS in 24 hours. Now, this doesn't stop people from accessing the website, but it may make accessing the site slower and increase costs for the site administrators. Yep, it's just a classic example of some groups using the power of government to give themselves a virtual monopoly. What's interesting is that Cloudflare had previously refused to comply with a similar order against MP3 Skull. The RIAA had argued that Cloudflare was acting, quote, in active concert or participation, when all Cloudflare does is just cache the site and make it more available. The court ruled in favor of the RIAA and ordered Cloudflare to take the site down, but it didn't rule on the question of it being active concert or participation. And that criterion is also in place in the Sci-Hub case. You know, I will say this, Shane, you know, I mean, the thing I hate about, you know, the copyright rules is just how much people are convinced that we need copyright regardless of all the damage it's done, you know? Yeah. The website remains available, but it's amazing to me the deafening silence about cases like that from people who are otherwise screaming about net neutrality. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to stop the bunghole of this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to the FDA for another misguided attempt to protect people from themselves 
by stopping them from getting anti-diarrhea medication. Oh, yeah. The FDA previously received Idiot Extraordinaire four times, once for accidentally losing and then forgetting about vials containing smallpox, which thankfully were recovered years later, attempting to regulate GMO animals based on non-science and nonsense, and wanting to cut the nicotine amounts in cigarettes, despite the overwhelming evidence that it would result in more health problems from smoking, and they went against vaping, too. Yeah. That's not to mention the times we covered that the FDA wanted to regulate video games as drugs, stopping competitors of EpiPen resulting in high prices, making sure homeopathic companies go through the proper process of putting absolutely no active ingredients into their plain water, <laughs> claiming that walnuts are drugs, wow. fear-mongering about caffeine, shutting down an Amish farm for selling fresh milk, and even claiming that your own body is a drug that they get to regulate. <laughs> and they wonder why we're not sanguine about letting them regulate our food and drugs. Yeah. So the FDA announced that it's going to limit access to lopiramide, the active ingredient of Imodium AD and other antidiarrheals, lowering the dosage, requiring blister packs, and only allowing purchases of a two-day supply. And it's all yet another misguided effort to reduce the hideous slaughter of the non-existent opioid crisis by going after something no one is using to get high. Lopiramide works only on the digestive system at regular doses, but although it isn't in any way an opioid, it can have effects on the central nervous system in high doses, way high doses, like 5,000 times the labeled dose, which is generally 10,000 pills. That's so hilarious, you know, when the FDA regulates all these drugs and they say, oh, because there's a chemical in it that causes people to get high, but then if you actually do the math, you would have to, like, eat, like, ten entire packs of that drug in order to get even a mild buzz from it. Lapiramide doesn't actually reach the brain. A naturally occurring protein, P-glycoprotein, keeps the drug out of the brain. The extremely high megadoses are required to overwhelm this protein so it can't keep it all out. According to Gizmodo, there's no official data as to how many people are abusing lapiramide. Gee, imagine that. This is the government, though. They don't care. <laughs> but there are some reports of people getting high by putting thousands of lapiramide tablets into a blender and making a smoothie, several orders of magnitude less than the reports of people eating Tide Pods, but hey, why let science and the rejection of anecdotal reports get in the way of a good scare? Yeah, I have no idea why people are eating Tide Pods. They're really not. I mean, it's just... It's one of those things that everyone knows someone who knows someone who did it, but you can't actually find any cases of someone actually doing it. Yeah, well, still, I saw a funny joke one time, because there were a few videos of people trying to eat Tide Pods and all that, and one person said, let's do a test, let's all gargle potassium cyanide, <laughs> and whoever can go the longest without dying gets, gets $200. There was one that it was done up like a cooking show, it's like how to prepare your Tide Pods before eating, and... He was making things like a Clorox garnish and things like that. Yeah. Little sauce to put over the top of it. Clinical toxicologist William Eggleston said, quote, It's a cheap, legal, and easily accessible opioid alternative. No, it isn't! If you have to take 10,000 of them to get high, it's not cheap and it's not easy. Here's the thing. People love to complain that drugs in the United States are so expensive, which to a certain extent they are, but people fail to realize it's stuff like this why they're so expensive, you know? Yeah. I mean, because of all these little rules and this fear of people getting high, I mean, just to buy a bottle of aspirin now can cost you like 15 to 20 bucks now. Yeah. 
And it's funny how this report in the Atlantic fear mongers about the number of calls to poison control centers over lapyramide exposure. They say it doubled between 2010 and 2015, but they don't give us any actual numbers. I mean, if it were one person in 2010 and two in 2015, that would be doubling. Yep. They never give us the actual information we need to evaluate these statistics, and that's kind of telling. And the FDA has also issued an alert for doctors to look out for lapyramide abuse, because what better things do doctors have to do with their time? <laughs> yeah. It's not as if they aren't overworked with a bunch of mandated government paperwork already. Shane, when you posted that video about opioids, there was actually a couple of people that were accusing you of being a drug addict because, you know, you were trying to bring up that, you know, that you're in chronic pain. And they were saying, well, if you're in so much pain that only a really strong opioid can cure you, I think that's a sign you've got an addiction problem. I'm addicted to not being in pain. And I tell people all the time because I know a thing or two about addiction. Addiction happens when you take a drug even though you physically don't need it. It's a psychological problem. Yeah, and I don't really take all that much. I will take, like, I've got, like, the lowest dose, which is, I think, the 5-325. That's 5 milligrams of hydrocodone, 325 of acetaminophen. And I break the pills in half, and I'll take, like, one half in the morning, one half in the afternoon. Sometimes I'll need the third half pill. I'm not taking that much. But it's still becoming more and more difficult. And, I mean, I've been doing this for over 10 years. I think it's clear I am in no danger of addiction and yet, I gotta go every six months and pee in a cup and stuff like that. And I still say, it is very hypocritical, you know, for people to say you can't take opioids because they're bad for you, but go ahead and smoke and drink all you want. Well, and it's like there's other stuff that's far worse, because I take gabapentin at night for neuropathic pain, because gabapentin, uh, it's actually epilepsy medicine, but it also blocks neuropathic pain. But it takes 12 hours to get out of your system instead of the six hours that hydrocodone does, because if I took a hydrocodone at night, I'm waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning in pain, and the gabapentin keeps me going. But if I take it during the day, I get depression. I mean, not wanting to go and, you know, slip my wrist depression, but just the kind of depression where nothing's worth getting up and making an effort for. Yeah, you're like Marvin from A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, it's just, just no, no point. I'll just stay in bed. No need to get up and make money and pay bills and stuff like that. Well, and also, acetaminophen, how many people are getting liver damage from acetaminophen? Yeah, you know, that Tylenol you take for your headache is more dangerous than Imodium. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even if I'm being completely generous to them and say that, okay, all of this is happening and all of this is just the way you've described and all of this is exactly the problem you say it is, what they're talking about is just going to make it harder for people to get it, and that's just going to drive them to heroin and other harder drugs. Yeah. When will they learn? Yeah. You know, that's why I will never, ever believe a person that says, you know, we need to get the government in healthcare. I say, if we want a medicine to go down and become cheaper, we need to get the government out. So all of that makes the FDA this week's biggest bogani matter. If you're going to shop online, use our special links to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.Pagosity.tv, and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. If you haven't used the mobile app in the last 12 months, or even at all, go to Get5.Pagosity.tv on your phone or tablet and get $5 off your order of $10 or more. Go to Prime.Pagosity.tv for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrowed Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to Kindle.Pagosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited. Read over 1 million books. 
and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. You can go to music.bogosity.tv and get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited with access to Amazon's entire library of 10 million songs, ad-free and with unlimited skips, and even download to listen offline. All great ways to help this podcast simply by shopping at Amazon. And now let's issue a high alert over this week's And this week it goes to voting machine makers. All of them. Without exception. Normally when we do a category like that, it's most of them or some of them or some representative of them. This time, it's every single one. And we've talked about DEF CON before. It's an annual white hat hackers convention where people try to hack into anything and everything for fun and prizes. And a lot of stuff gets fixed that way because all the big companies are in on it and giving money to it. And they find all sorts of zero days that they didn't go and patch. So it's a great service. Well, last year, their voting village made a lot of headlines for exposing serious vulnerabilities in America's electronic voting machines. All of them from every company. So this year, the White Hats are having a hard time getting their hands on the voting machines because the voting machine makers are sending threatening letters to eBay and other sellers to get them taken off, claiming that it's illegal to buy or sell voting machines, which is an outright lie! There's nothing illegal about it at all! According to Finnish programmer Hari Hursty, co-organizer of Voting Village, they're having a hard time getting the voting machines for the conference because the voting machine manufacturers are sending threatening letters to eBay. Of course, none of this will stop the black hats from getting their hands on them. Yeah, you need those white hat hackers. You need them to break into your stuff and, you know, try to steal your information because they're helping you figure out, well, here's what you can do to make it more difficult for us. But it's like I said, most of the industry likes... Defcon and Pwn to Own and things like that because that's how they can find all these things and uh, fix them. And like you said, some websites like Facebook, you know, do say, you know, if you successfully hack into someone, you know, we'll give you this big prize if you agree not to publish the information and also show how you did it so we can better patch up our system better. Yeah, they give you a bug bounty. Yeah. Well, Defcon has been cracking voting machines since 2004. The industry has been unwilling to even acknowledge the problems they've uncovered. And DEFCON just comes back year after year with more challenges. And they've shown that these machines, all of them, from every single manufacturer, are badly maintained, hideously backdoored, and so easily hacked that even DEFCON hackers are stressed out about their own local voting process. And it's pretty funny because a lot of people are going to say, well, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, you know, they're going to figure out, you know, who's going to win and all that. And I'm like, people, um... Voting machines, you know, have a lot of your personal information on there, so if a black hat hacker hacks into there and he gets all this information, he's just like, hey, there's 500 people on this voting machine. Well, that's 500 fake credit cards I can finally make. Oh, try 600,000. That's how much was in one voting machine from Shelby County, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was huge. I mean, they're using these voting machines and selling them off after use without wiping them. Yep, that's 600,000 personal bank accounts that those people have access to now. The contest got a shot in the arm last year when Professor Andrea Matwishan... I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. There's... Uh, <laughs> Can I buy a vowel on that last name, please? Established that the act of hacking a voting system is not illegal, so White Hats at the 2017 DEF CON were unrestrained in their hacking, and every single machine in the village 
suffered a serious breach, some in minutes, most in under an hour and a half, by hackers with no insider knowledge and hackers who don't even specialize in voting machines? Many of them hadn't had basic OS or software patches in a decade. Some of them were even hacked without any physical access at all. And just an example, all Sequoia brand machines shared a single common hard-coded password. Yeah. Personally, I like the system my county uses. A cardstock page with the candidates' names on it, and you take an ordinary ballpoint pen and fill in the oval next to the one you want to vote for. Yeah, we do that to in Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah, the Russians can't hack a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing too. Even if the, if it was true that the Russians, you know, hacked the elections, which by the way they didn't, people so quit spreading it. Well, they made attempts. They did make attempts to hack the voting machines. What they found was that our elections are so decentralized that it's really pretty much impossible to do because you've got all these different precincts with different ways of doing things. Yeah, but even if they did successfully do it, all that demonstrates is that we are incompetent when it comes to cybersecurity. Yeah, and I mean I've said this before. But before I'll even consider whether a voting machine to be used, you need to do this at a minimum. Just not the whole criteria, just to start the conversation. This is what you need to do. One, the software for it must be open source. Two, it must be independently and publicly audited. Three, it must have a paper trail. And four, it must be completely air-gapped and kept in a Faraday cage throughout the entire voting process. Personally, I think it's just a lot easier, simple, and more secure to use cardstock. Also, number five, make sure the password isn't one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> so all of that makes the voting machine makers, and for that matter, anyone who would even consider using them in an actual election, this week's... Idiot up this did you think i was gonna hang myself for a littering edition of bogosity podcast come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question statement news article or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv this podcast depends on you to keep going so please donate using the links on the website or the qr codes in the thumbnail or support shane dk on patreon and maker support and get the podcast and youtube videos early and without ads or promos Thank you for listening, and thanks to Chris Hangartner for joining me. Yep. Until next time, here's a quote from Tacitus. The more numerous the laws, the more corrupt the government. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, not commercial mode, but it's 4.0 international license. Bogosity. Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not. Based on observations, 
accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific and never be taken in by creationists again.